Hi, this is Bill Allerton from Urban Tiger Radio, a project sponsored by Cybermouse Multimedia, bringing you free podcasts to download or listen to live online on your favourite podcast player, iTunes, Stitcher.com, SoundCloud, or just Google us and you will find us everywhere. Enjoy. I'm sorry, it's been a long time since we've done a podcast, but uh, the world gets in the way, in the way of, like, um, illness, maybe, uh, COVID, lockdowns, all sorts of things, and the world going crazy. And on top of that, moving home, which seems to have taken about 18 months to accomplish. Having said that, this is a much better place for recording than we had before. I haven't got the traffic going past People walking past and banging on the window like they used to do. So, here we go. What I have for you this time is a short story from Penny Woods. Now, if you remember, there's a story on the site called Rambling Man from Tim Woods. This is Tim's sister. I think there must be a a pool of talent in the family somewhere. I don't know where it resides, but it's certainly shown in... uh, Tim and his sister. So, Penny has written a story called Cake and she's won the Paracoom Prize with this short story. Now, Paracoom is a place that nestles in the folds of the western hills of Exmoor, UK, a few miles from the coast. It lies close to where Devon borders Somerset. It's a bit of a farming community and it's a small village and uh, goes back a long time, a thousand-year-old castle, inexplicably sighted halfway down the hill. And the short story competition has been devised by those within the community to help support village life, while giving their love of literature and writing new expression. If you want to know more details about the authors, prize winners and the competition, it can be found on prize. That's P-R-I-Z-E dot Paracoom, which is P-A-R-R-A-C-O-M-B-E dot org dot UK. Or look for a link in the show notes. The story goes under the title of Cake. And thinking about this, it's a story about how Decisions, quite sometimes quite innocuous ones that we make earlier on in life, lead to unexpected results in other people's lives as time goes by, and how we could have no foreknowledge of that, and yet somehow still feel, end up feeling responsible. It's called cake. All this is written between the hours of one fifty-seven and 2.30am. I'm lying awkwardly in bed with my husband snoring like Daddy Pig alongside me, but we are back to back. The familiarity of pitchforks rather than spoons. My eyes are sticky sore, gummy, gloopy, and the bags beneath them feel like bruises. Tea is my consolation and my friend. One that doesn't require anything from me, but is supportive and always there. Nearly always. 
The mornings when I awake and there's no milk in the house are bitter, like the wind howling around our porch. I like my tea strong, but not too dark. Leave the tea mag in. Dash of milk, preferably full fat. None of those floating shiny separations on the top, though, please, which make the tea look like the surface of the moon. Always a mug. A cup just isn't worth the effort. With cake. Rich, succulent, crumbling, calorific cake. I wonder, do we eat calories... Or are they a measurement of something else? I'm not sure, but I like the mechanics of eating 100 calories and walking a mile to burn them off, creating a nothingness, a black hole of calories and cake and guilt. All this talk has made my lips tingle, a stirring inside me. Even though I may wake the children and set off the burglar alarm, if he set it, and calories at night are the heaviest kind, I'm going to have a chocolate eclair. My absolute favourite cake is a scone with a soft wedge of butter, jam heavy with berries, butter-coloured, cascading, glossy mountains of cluttered cream to go straight into my arteries. But there are only four hours before I have to wake up, definitively, and deal with the day. Today. This day. And a cream tea would take too long. Chocolate eclairs are quick as a guillotine, snapping into the shard of chocolate on top, licking up the crumbs of cream and shoe pastry before the tea has cooled enough to drink. I also love custard tarts, or pastel de nata if you want to charge 50p more, carrot cakes with little sugared carrots on top, Victoria sponge, what a woman, what a queen, so many children, she must have really loved him, chocolate brownies, shortbreads, shortcake, two entirely different things, lardy cake, Welsh cake, sesame cake, banana cake, I could create an entire cake map of Britain without leaving the island of my living room and still have room for more. A millefoil. Well, I suppose we used to own Calais. It hasn't just been cake. It's been chocolate after dinner when I'm too tired to go to bed. Change into pyjamas, clean teeth, check on kids, put plates in sink and need a final sugar hit to get me through the second witching hour, 10.30 to 11.30pm, when you realise there aren't enough hours before morning to catch up on all the sleep you need. It's been finishing the kids' dinners, crisp at lunch, glasses of Pinot Grigio and Verdicchio on special occasions, even nuts, avocado, fruit juice, the healthy options, have taken their toll. But mainly, it's been the cake. I once made a cake with berries from the garden. It was delicious, light as a newborn, with swirls of white chocolate on top, beautiful like ink wash paintings. The berries, sharp yet moist. I was so proud, a homemade cake. The kids had a slice, 
but it lacked the roller coaster of aspartame, saccharin, and sucralose that give childhood in the 21st century its edge. I gave my husband a slice for dessert. He didn't say thank you, didn't say anything. I found it in the bin when I put it out for the rubbish men the following Thursday. Rubbish men, ha, huh, all men are, but of course, I don't mean that. Alexander would have picked out the berries and shaved off the white chocolate with his rather gruesome thumbnail and examined the whole thing. He would have put it into sections on his plate and decided which section he liked best and eaten that first. He would have sucked the berries free of crumbs and put them in their own colour-coordinated section. After eating it all, he would have said, I enjoyed eating that cake. Thank you for making that cake that I have eaten and enjoyed. And I would have said, Alexander, would you like another slice of cake? And he would have said, yes. And I would have served it up, and the whole process of dissection and analysis would start again, as if he were a scientist working on a cure for cancer, and my cake was a mouse lost to a greater cause. Sometimes, when people met Alexander, they would try to put everyone at ease by saying something like, so, are you an Alex, or a... Sandy, and he would say, No, I am Alexander. Are you named after Alexander the Great? They would persist, and he would reply, No, my mother never knew him. And I would collapse into peals of laughter like a clementine titillated by its own exposure, and Alexander would say to me, I do not understand why you are laughing, but when you laugh, I feel better in my head. Alexander could recognise songbird eggs. He knew how tides work, could list the highest mountains in Scotland, unravelled the interiors of plugs and sockets, traced on my skin which way blood travels around the body, named for me all the types of cloud. As we lay on the grass, waiting for the sky to fall in. He could categorise leaves according to whether they were cordate, palmate or lobed. He would close his eyes and ask me to place a leaf in his hand and trace my finger around it. When our conversations ebbed, he opened his phone and read out average life expectancy since the 1500s from a Google spreadsheet he downloaded from the internet. He also knew the calorie count of everything I was cramming into my mouth. I would look green with guilt and eat it anyway. He ate too, but never got fat like me, with rolls of blubber stacked beneath my breast like a pile of hardbacks. Dickens, not Ian McEwan. I always assumed I would marry Alexander, but when I suggested it, his reply was rather curious. It was a Tuesday afternoon in April. The weather was that irritating mix of expectant sunshine and torrential showers, making everything you wore either too chilly or too hot or too damp. We were in pies with everything, the cafe we always went to. I'd never had a pie there. I was finishing an almond pastry in a large caramel latte. 
Alexander was having a black coffee, a sausage and ketchup which had circled around the edge of his plate. The owner never battered an eyelid at Alexander's request for just one sausage, or what he did with the ketchup, or the way he always measured out the sugar before stirring it clockwise into his coffee. We'd agreed to apply to the same universities, Oxford, Warwick, Leeds, Manchester, Bristol and Reading, just to be on the safe side. After visiting, we agreed that Manchester was a shithole we'd be lucky to get out of alive. He had six offers. I had one. It was Manchester. Manchester, then, he said. Alexander, I said. Oxford will be full of people like you. Manchester won't. I don't want to be with people like me. I want to be with you. Alexander, I don't want you to come to Manchester with me. I want you to go to Oxford. Is it because you don't like me, even though we are friends? I can hear him saying those words crystal clear, even though it was more than 30 years ago. We had agreed to go to university together and he couldn't understand why I was changing the plan. In truth, I wasn't just thinking of him and how his genius would be lost on Manchester. I was dreaming of all the things I might want to do without Alexander there. I want to change the plan, I said. I want you to go to Oxford and me to go to Manchester, but to ensure that everything stays okay between us, I want us to get married. I'd said the M word without even thinking. I'd only contemplated marriage before in the way teenage girls daydream about marrying anything with bollocks, including donkeys, teachers and brothers, but not seriously. Not out loud. Would marriage mean having a wedding with lots of people and then having sex every day and then being sad when you died? Alexander asked. Not every day, I replied. We'd spend a fortune on train fares if that were the case. He didn't smile. I don't know whether I want to have sex with just you, or lots of girls, or lots of boys, or just myself, he said. A man on the table next to us, who had just eaten a breakfast beast fry-up with free pie, was now burping his way through a postprandial cup of builders. He lowered the Daily Mirror from in front of his face, glanced at us and raised it again. Alexander soared at Oxford. I drifted at Manchester. We didn't marry. I was in the toilets of the kettle one evening in my third year. The toilet window wasn't frosted, just coated with a sheet of matte plastic peeling at the edges for a surreptitious glance in or out. I was trying to pee really quickly before anyone looked in, but I was drunk and fat and sleepy and wallowing in the knowledge that I'd end up with someone who didn't really love me. A banging on the window woke me up. It was followed by a gale of laughter, so I stumbled out of the cubicle, pretended to wash my hands and returned to the throbbing bar with people all twisted together like laid hedges and the floor all tacky. Hello. A voice spoke through the haze and made me feel that everything was okay. Hello, 
he said again. I'm Alexander. I've come to visit you. We used to be friends. I clung to him and wept on his shoulder. Alexander, I would like us still to be friends. I remember the chips from that night and the cheesy chilli and I remember telling him things I didn't even know about myself and him telling me his sad, sad secret. But I don't remember getting home. And when I woke up, he was gone. Now, I try to visit Alexander once a year. His parents wrote to me saying the grave was unmarked and under the circumstances there hadn't been a funeral but that his ashes were there somewhere in the churchyard of St. Ebbies, Oxford. And was there anything of his I would like? A little keepsake, perhaps. Only to reply promptly that they were getting rid of it all at the end of the month and that they'd found an envelope to me in his pillowcase in prison and had duly enclosed it. I opened it in private, the first big thing I hid from my still new husband. I was lying in the bath with a large apple danish and a precariously placed cup of tea. The note was brief. I should have gone to Manchester. I love you until time no longer exists. Alexander I reached up to tuck the note into my dressing gown pocket, then sank my teeth into the sweet layers of pastry, which flaked like dirty snow into the bubbly bath waters. Well, that is uh, Cake by Penny Woods. I keep wanting to call her Pennyworth, uh, but I think there's already an author, author by the name of Pennyworth, uh, or a journalist. And it's the winner of the Panacombe Prize 2023, which is their third anthology of short stories. I will try to put links to the uh, Panacombe Community Trust and uh, in the show notes. So I hope you enjoyed Cake. And I know I enjoy cake. Well, at least I would enjoy cake. But it seems that I'm allergic to compressed sugar. Um, It's not diabetic. It just affects my nervous system in a very random fashion and can make me feel like I'm drunk. So while I'm still sober, I'll sign off. I hope you've enjoyed this. And I hope you're all still well. Anyone that's listening to me left, anyone that's left still listening to me, should I say, out there. And... uh, I'm looking forward now to doing a podcast, which I should have been doing this morning, with Akim Balagun, who is, uh, well, apart from the fact that he's erudite, he's tall, slim, devastatingly handsome, and a better writer than myself, I fail to see what he's got going for him. But no doubt we will find out. The reason he's not here is because we now have two inches of snow this morning, uh, making it rather difficult to get to where we live, which is on the top of a hill. So I'll sign off now, and so it's a goodbye from me, and a goodbye from him, and uh, a meow from Nelly. So off we go. Bye. <laughs>